Um, thank you, Adam. Thank you for sharing something to encourage us all about the ex some of the excitement of being apprentices of Jesus. That's the kind of new way we're trying to look at life this year. Um, and it's just really good to hear from someone who's, who's been trying it out for quite a few months. Um, tēnā koto, ko Robin tōku ingoa, no mai hairi mai, ki te whari karakia e tēnei rā. Good morning and welcome to this house of prayer today. It's good to be together or listening on Spotify. It's fine. I want to start by just praying this prayer. Lord, may our church community be increasingly known as a home where weary, wandering souls find belonging and direction. I read that prayer this morning and I thought, yes, Lord, that's us. Now, two weeks ago, Faye shared some of her story with us. And as I left for after that message, I thought, I hardly need to speak today. Our big theme this year is the way of Jesus, and today is step one of that, of being with Jesus as his apprentice. To be with Jesus, thank you, thanks. To be with Jesus means hanging out with the Holy Spirit and learning some new practices or rhythms to encourage these things to happen in our lives and community. And Faye showed us that. She showed us how to be with Jesus, how to hang out with the Holy Spirit, and how to grow in practices like praying, reading the Bible, meeting with one another, and sharing the way of Jesus with other people. And she has continued to live this life for at least 30 years. Someone prayed on that Sunday that her story could have been in the book of Acts, and it's so true. I am really excited about this new series of messages this year, messages for us to listen to, discuss, and start practicing. Tina sent us all a message via email a couple of weeks ago, introducing the whole idea for the year. She said that the members of the early church in the years just after Jesus and following were called followers of the way. They lived a totally different way of life. It was a life of love, of justice for the vulnerable, a life built on a deep sense of community things that we are quite familiar with from the teachings of Jesus. But it was also a way of life underpinned by practices which sustained and nourished and grew them as individuals and as community. That's what we are going to unpack this year. These practices or rhythms led them into deep union with the spirit of Jesus and in turn gave them power to live the radically different way of life that Jesus had called them to. And as we go on, I just want to acknowledge Tina and Adam as part of the leadership team for the courageous, open, and honest way they've sought after God for themselves and for us, especially this past year. Thank you. I'm also excited 
because I've puzzled for a long time about a whole bunch of Bible verses where we read part of the verse and hide from the rest. For Ephesians 4. Thanks. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So this says that the pastor's and teacher's responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Build it up how much? So much that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Take a quick look round. How many of those you can see would you say are mature to the full and complete standard of Christ? What about you? What about me? Not. So, that means the pastors and teachers of this church, and that includes me, have not been carrying out their responsibilities. They have tried. And the people in our church have tried, but we just we don't always seem to know how to do it. Mostly we don't even talk about it. How long since you asked a friend here about how their maturity in Christ was growing? And then what about an even bigger picture in Matthew 28, the great commandment that we are pretty familiar with? Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So good so far. But what about verse 20? Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the great commandment that Jesus left us with, and I think that we all have heard it and know it. And in our immediate past, the last 300 years or so, we've been pretty good at expanding the church numerically and geographically. We've been pretty good at verse 19, making disciples of all nations and baptizing them. But our success in that has somehow not added up to an understanding of growth in Christ-likeness after conversion, as outlined in verse 20. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. These are the kind of verses that we just sort of skip over quite often. After all, who can really do everything that Christ commanded? What is our church's plan for teaching our people to do everything that Christ commanded? Everything. Actually, we do have a plan on the wall, as Tina said. We have a plan of being loved, equipped, and sent. And we've been following this plan for several years, which has actually brought us to this place. Tina said last week, 
that I would explore what it means to be deeply connected to Jesus day by day and moment by moment. To start even unpacking that, we need to start with Jesus, and we're going there in a moment, but I'm just putting up a picture. One of the things that I've been learning to do over this past couple of months is just pausing much more often and stopping and looking up at the sky, at the clouds or the stars to see what God's doing up there. And this past week we were camping and I just I was just walking across and I stopped and I looked up and it just burst out spontaneously. Oh Father, you've been playing with the clouds again. Look at them. And they were absolutely stunning. And I just thought, oh wow. And then as my eyes came down, there were two horses silhouetted on top of a hill, exactly like you see in those fantastic photographs that I can't take. And they were just they were just beautiful. And so I just added to my old father and the horses. This is a little tiny bit of what we're looking at. Now, we're going back. I said we need to start with Jesus. He was a first century rabbi or teacher. And like all rabbis, he had his own set of teachings. These teachings were known as a yoke. They were the wisdom, the expectations, the way of life that he was passing on to his students. And Jesus is saying that his teachings, the way of life he is calling people into, will not weary or burden his followers, but will result in rest for our souls. Jesus has an end goal for people, rest in their souls. And he wants to show them how to get there. Now, the really exciting thing is that over the last 30 or so years, Groups of men and women all over the world have been asking these same questions and exploring some very similar ideals. And that list of books that Tina's put on the website covers quite a bit of that. Basically, what people are saying is that our traditional way of doing things, of encouraging Christians to attend church, give some of their time and money, read the Bible, do good to others, and witness to their faith isn't working. It's not producing people who do everything that Christ commanded. It's not producing people with rest in their souls. And it's certainly not producing churches that are overflowing out their doors because they're having such an impact on their community. So what can we do? Now, if you are one of many people listening to this today who would react like me in my 40s somewhere. A dentist told me that I needed to floss my teeth every day. As I walked home, I thought that if I tried to fit one more single thing into my schedule, I would surely fall over. So, no teeth flossing at that time. The dentist was right, and I'm still paying for it today. So, we are not going to ask you to add more stuff to already over full lives. All year we will talk about these things and invite you to be part of them to whatever extent you want to or is possible for you at your stage of life right now in 2024. And we are all in vastly different places and spaces. 
Tina mentioned that website again, and she put up last, for last week to take 10 minutes to have a look at our lifestyle and where we spend our time. I haven't done that yet for obvious reasons, but I'm doing it tomorrow. Now, the way that we have chosen to explore this is by going back to Jesus' very first words to his disciples. The very first thing he said to them was, come and see, from John 1.39 and several other places. And I talked briefly about these at some point last year. As was summarized last week, Jesus was a rabbi, and rabbis called disciples. It was what they did. It was the education system in Israel and actually for much of that part of the world. First, you worked through the two stages of the education process until about age 12 or 17, which involved, among other things, memorizing the first five books of the Bible, and then the whole Old Testament by the time you were 17. Then, most people went home to families and trade. The very best of the best could apprentice under a rabbi if they could find one who would accept them. This was the equivalent of getting into a very top-level university today. I'm not quite sure we have a university at that level in New Zealand. You might have to go overseas. If a rabbi noticed you, talked to you, and tested you rigorously and decided that you passed, he would say, come, follow me. And that's exactly what Jesus did with his first disciples. The first disciples were fishermen on the beach. And Jesus said, come, follow me. And it tells us that they left their father and the boats and the nets straight away and followed Jesus. And we think, what? He just said, come and see. But the meaning behind that was, come and be my apprentice. Come and change your whole life right now. Jesus is still doing the same thing today, and he is the only rabbi who ever extended his invitation to anyone and everyone. Many of the rabbis only called four or five people, because that's men, keep that to men, um, because that's all that they could handle. And perhaps a really good one might have 10 or 12. Now, Jesus called his original 12 disciples, but then he had hundreds more who included men and women, absolutely unheard of then. And then he told them, go into all the world and make disciples. And that includes you and me today. Come, follow me. The Hebrew word that is used here and 267 other times in the New Testament, so it's pretty important, is Talmud or Talmudim, if there's a group of them. And that simply means a student of a teacher or a philosopher. It's like an apprentice. It's probably better translated into English as apprentice than disciple. We have a pretty wishy-washy idea of a disciple, but a much clearer one of the rigorous training program that apprentices sign up for. Thank you, Michael. Now, back to the Gospels. If you were one of the lucky few who became apprentice to a rabbi, your whole life changed instantly. Thank you. You organized your entire life around three driving goals. You have heard them now. To be with Jesus, 
or to be with your rabbi, to become like your rabbi, or to do as your rabbi did, in the hope that one day you would hear him say, go and make disciples or apprentices yourself. To be with your rabbi so that you could become like him. You would copy his tone of voice, his mannerisms, his figures of speech. You wanted to do to be him. To do this, you'd leave your family, village, trade, fishing boats, and follow your rabbi 24-7. You would spend every waking moment with him, as well as sleeping, eating with him, and listening to him. All day, every day. Jesus was not looking for converts to Christianity. He was looking for apprentices to the kingdom of God. And he's open to everyone coming. Whoever wants to be my disciple. If you're not sure that's you yet today, he wants you. And what does this mean? In Matthew, he calls his first disciples in chapter 4 and then continues in chapters 5 to 7 with the Sermon on the Mount, explaining how to live this new way of life in an ordinary, messy, normal life, a life where all kinds of things go wrong. Really fascinating reading if you want to go back and read Matthew. But the verses which bookend most of this teaching, Matthew 5.19 and 7.24, explain the actual how-to. 5.19 says, Whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And at the end, 7.24, Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise person who built his house on the rock. The key idea which is repeated here is that of practicing. Jesus assumes that this way of living, this way of being transformed from the inside out is going to take a lifetime of practice. Again, Michael summarized my sermon brilliantly. Thank you. (laughs) If you want to experience life with God all through the day, if you want to become like Jesus, it takes a lifetime of practicing and a lifetime of training. So what are we practicing? And we're going to have a little look at how we can start in a few minutes. Our goal is to be with Jesus and then to be like him. How did Jesus live his life? If we want to experience the life of Jesus, we have to adopt his lifestyle. And what did that look like? He was never in a rush. He was unhurried. He spent lots of time in community with family, friends, parties, with anyone and everyone. He spent lots of time alone. He spent lots of time sleeping. He set aside Sabbath days. He lived simply and he lived at peace. Peace is the byproduct of a lifestyle like Jesus. How do we get that kind of peace? following Jesus, living like Jesus, basing your lifestyle on the template set by Jesus. This will involve all of us in making some different choices at some point to either simplify our lives or allocate our time differently. But that's not our priority today. Today we just want to focus on 
being with Jesus. And Jesus, of course, didn't leave us in any doubt. He knew that it was one thing for John and Peter and the others to be with him and be like him, but quite different for us because Jesus isn't here. Isn't he? Let's read John 14. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world can't receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. I forgot to tell you that there were pictures up the front. If you're getting restless, come and help yourself. (laughs) But you know him because he lives with you now and will later be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. The way to be with Jesus today is through the Holy Spirit. And he spent chapters and chapters at the end of each gospel talking to us about how this worked. The first century disciples had Jesus in the flesh. We don't, but we have his spirit. How do we live, as I think Tina mentioned, in a constant state of awareness and connection with the spirit of Jesus? And again... We listen to Faye telling us how she learned how to hang out with the Holy Spirit in a beautiful, real, and powerful way. Jesus continued in John 14, I am telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I've told you. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. But still, how? Bear with me for a few more minutes. When I first listened to John Comer talking about this on his podcast, I turned it off in disgust and walked away for a few weeks. You're not the only one, Adam. It seems as if I still haven't learned the dental flossing lesson. And we do have a practical challenge coming up shortly. But the comment from Coma that so annoyed me was that the first and primary goal of apprenticeship is learning to live in a constant state of awareness of and connection to the Holy Spirit. And my thought and my reaction was, been there, tried that, failed. And I don't know, an awful lot of us have this very negative person in our heads. She's a slave driver or he's a slave driver and she's terribly negative. I have one of them that I do have to fight with. But gradually as I pondered, I realised it wasn't quite true. I have learned much over many years about hanging out with God and listening for his spirit. I know I've got miles to go, but I'm definitely on the way. It's not been there, tried that, and failed. And our next reading is from John 15, and helped with that. John 15 starts with, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. Now this is Jesus explaining how this life of living with him and the Holy Spirit was going to work. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. Note 10 is tomato plant. 
You have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's cut off from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This is Jesus repeating over and over, come and hang out, be with me. Tina referred to trees last week, and Jesus is saying something similar. Stay joined to me, and you will produce much fruit. Really good apples, perhaps, but good fruit. The word meno, which is used seven times in this passage and translated as remain, can also be translated abide. And those of us who started off with an older versions of the Bible, this was always abide with me. But it also means stay at home in. And I love that version, which is used in the message. Before we moved to Auckland, I attended a retreat with Bruce for a weekend. In my head and heart, I was far away from God, following my wrong ways, not his good ways, and keeping that a secret from everybody, including my children, family, and church friends, feeling totally guilt-ridden and facing this huge move from Dunedin to Auckland. On that retreat, the first morning, we read John 15 quietly in the message outside under a tree. And Jesus said to me, make yourself at home in my love. I was expecting at the very least a growling from God and totally condemnation, but there wasn't a single word of that. He said, make yourself at home in my love. I knew what that meant. When I invited visitors to my home, I didn't keep them standing in the hallway. I made them welcome to our whole home, but I was definitely keeping Jesus standing in the front hallway at that point. I made some changes then, and I continue to grow and learn in this area. It takes a lifetime, but there are quite big chunks of my life now where I do live and walk with the Holy Spirit, and one of them is especially when I wake during the night. It's become a practice or a habit of turning automatically to talk to God before the other second eyes even open. There are many beautiful stories of people making themselves at home in God's love or practicing the ways of Jesus or practicing the presence of God. Those things all mean the same thing, but that phrase, practicing the presence of God, frightens me. I'm not someone who can use music to find God's presence, so how can I get there? A man called Brother Lawrence lived in a monastery in the 1600s where he had this really important job of washing dishes. Not important. Hard work, hot, noisy, and constantly being yelled at. But he wrote that the time of business or work does not differ with me from the time of prayer. Tranquility with God in a noisy yelling kitchen was the same as when he was praying in mass. 
Tranquility or peace with God doesn't have anything to do with our surroundings. It has to do with the with God bit. So, from today, we can take home a very long-term goal of becoming a follower of the way of Jesus. This will take years, and we're going to spend most of this year unpacking just that. The MCC leadership team is praying this year that we will all grow in our ability to be deeply Jesus, in our likeness to Jesus, and in our living of the Jesus way of life. They invite us to join them in that prayer. But today we have an invitation to a short-term goal as well. To just take five or ten minutes each day this week for sitting with Jesus or the Father or the Spirit. In solitude, to be quiet and to listen. And I, I want to put in some things that have helped me. My daughter-in-law told me once that her counsellor told her that she must do something or other, mindfulness I think it was, every day of the week. And then she said, and that means three or four times a week. And I thought, you know, those, those of us, again, who have that perfectionist in our heads, knows that every day of the week means seven days a week. Of course it does. But it doesn't. It means three or four. Because that's real. Now, I promised not to add stuff to all really full lives. So how can we do this? How can we find five or ten minutes? Most of us spend way too many minutes each day on our phones. So we are allowed to drop five of those minutes and repurpose them. I don't want to tell you how many hours my phone tells me my daily usage was last week. Drop five and repurpose them. But if you have small children, a really demanding job, other family responsibilities, etc., etc., this is not you. We have to be aware of what stage of life we are at. Bruce's brother was planning his funeral as I was typing this message, and his messages kept coming in and out. Real life is hard and messy, but it's different with God. And God is the one who tells us to look after the orphans and the widows, so he certainly knows how to hang out with a busy parent who is already doing at least three things at once. So, I've put on the left-hand side some different things that we can try. Sitting quietly, sitting looking at God's creation or something else that inspires you. Walking. Some people relate to God much better if they're moving than if they're sitting still. Bruce is one of them. He used to ride his bike to and from work, arrive home, grab a piece of paper and write down next Sunday's sermon. It all happened in his head on the bike ride. Looking up at God's sky, coming to Jesus with your children in your arms, just as Jesus asked people to do when he was here. But if you can take those few minutes by yourself, Make coffee if that's your thing, and if it wakes you up in the morning, it's a good thing. Go somewhere quiet and be with Jesus. Don't read, don't pray, breathe slowly, calm down. Now, I found that 
really tricky to start with. I already stop, because I'm lucky and I'm retired and I have plenty of time to allocate, I already take time in the morning to read my Bible and pray most mornings. But to stop and be quiet and listen without doing any of those other things, I echo, echo Steve who told us that learning to meditate was one of the hardest things he'd ever done. And this sitting still is hard for those of us who are constantly on the go. I constantly keep my mind busy with good and bad stuff, but always busy. Over these last weeks, I've been practicing pausing more often at different times of the day and just breathing and focusing on God. But when I was working, I would watch sunrises with God. And when I sat down each time at my computer, I would take a few minutes to look at whatever nature picture came up as my screensaver and just refocus back to God in my workplace. It only took half a minute as the screensaver came through. At the moment, I'm trying to sit 10 minutes with God in the morning without interrupting myself. I am up to six, but it's like training. Some days it's only 30 seconds. But one thing that's really encouraged me was a comment from John Mark Comer, the podcast and book man. He has been doing this for three years now. And he says, sometimes he has an awesome experience with the Holy Spirit. But sometimes his head is so busy that he only manages to quieten down from 100% noisiness to 80% noisiness. Been there, done that, know what that's like. But mostly, on most days, he feels peace. And I thought, that's an achievable goal. Mostly after I have spent that silent time, and I sometimes follow that up with writing my prayers, mostly I feel peace as well. I know well the 80% days, but they are okay. God made us. He knows every detail of us, and he knows how we work. He's not a perfectionist, even if we are. And I am looking forward to more awesome experiences with the Holy Spirit. If you can do nothing else this week, just stop once or twice and look up at the sky. When Abraham was really, really discouraged, God said, look up, count the stars. Look up, stars or clouds, and whisper a thank you to God. And take some encouragement from Romans 8, home as well. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, Meanwhile, the moment we get tired and waiting, God's Spirit is right alongside us, helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs and our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves, and he keeps us present before God. That's in Romans 8 in the message. If you haven't got a message at the moment, it, it is really worth reading the familiar passages. You can find them on your phone. You can just Google Romans 8 and then put in Romans 8, the message, and it will bring it up in whatever translation you need. So 
so you can change translations. We used to have to have a pile of Bibles. Now we can, now we can look them up quite quickly. So, there's our challenge this week. It's part, it's a tiny part of a whole year to take either some short moments with God or some longer ones, depending who you are and what life is like. Now, I'm just going to read some beautiful comments from Mother Teresa to lead us into communion. She was interviewed back in the 80s, and she was asked, when you pray to God, what do you say? She looked at the interviewer and said, I don't say anything. I listen. And the interviewer said, well, what does God say to you? She paused and thought a minute. He doesn't say anything. He listens. <laughs> I love that concept of mutual listening. In my morning times, I'm learning to listen. So let's be quiet now and take a time of listening as we come to communion. Another practice that Jesus gave to us, saying specifically, do this in remembrance of me. Let's be quiet for a few moments and then I'll pray. Reading from Luke 22. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it and said, Take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. And he took some bread and he broke it into pieces and he gave it to the disciples, saying, Do this in remembrance of me. And I do feel like one of the crackers should be broken too. This is my body, which is given for you. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my love, blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Father, we come this morning to take the bread and the wine as you asked us to in remembrance of you. And as we take those things today, we make a point of being quiet and listening to you and saying, Father, we want to be more in tune with you this year. Show us the way. Amen. Come and get. Come and get bread and wine.